Did you know that over 60,000 new tracks are uploaded to Spotify every single day? That's a new track every 1.4 seconds, and that's just on one platform. With so much music now available, it's more important than ever to stand out from the crowd. So it's not surprising that more artists are starting to use less conventional sonic textures in their music, like field recordings. Perhaps you've always wanted to infuse the sounds of nature or your favourite city into your own tracks, but not having the right gear or knowledge might have held you back. Well, if that's the case, you're going to love the brand new guide I just created, teaching you how to start field recording with just a smartphone. And it's all yours for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel. Yep, you really do just need a humble smartphone and some minimal extra gear that doesn't have to break the bank to get started with field recording. And I've laid it all out in this handy five-point checklist. So download it for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel and elevate your music to the next level. It's super important to trust your instincts and trust your ears as well. Like at that time, it was sort of pre- YouTube having loads of instructional videos. There probably were some, but it never occurred to me to look. So it was more just like, how does this sound? I don't know. How does this sound? Mm, I think I quite like this. And, you know, if other people didn't get it, it's fine because you, you're learning and you're growing and you're just sort of figuring it out, as you say. And I think you've got to try and have fun in that space. Otherwise, if you're critical, you'll just never make anything. You'll never show anyone anything and you won't be able to kind of go down that path. Hello and welcome to Girls Twiddling Knobs. My name's Isabel and over the last decade, my self-produced and self-released music has amassed over 25 million Spotify streams. I also have a PhD in sonic arts, but I wasn't always this confident with music tech. In fact, I still hear those self-doubt gremlins in my head from time to time. I started this podcast to help more female-identifying musicians start recording and producing their music and learn from other women making music with technology. If that's your cup of tea, then you're in the right place, my friend. Let's dive in. Are you a fully signed-up knob twiddler? Like, properly in the club? What I mean by that is, have you subscribed to the podcast? Because it's the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. Yep, by hitting that subscribe button wherever you're listening now, you'll make sure that every single time I drop a new helping of Girls Twiddling Knobs wonderfulness, it'll be waiting for you inside your podcast listening app. So whether I'm tackling a topic in depth sharing an upfront and personal chat with one of my wonderful guests, or I decide to drop an extra bonus episode as a special treat, you won't have to hunt around to find it. Subscribe to the podcast and never miss an episode. Okay, so I have a treat of an episode for you today because I'm joined by artist and producer Kayla Painter. Kayla's been making electronic music for many years and also lectures in music technology and composition. Inside this episode, she shares how her journey into all of that good stuff was one of initial excitement followed by a gradual process of building her skills as she went along. So if you've convinced yourself that you need to amass all the gear 
and all the music tech expertise before you can even begin recording and producing music, this episode will make you think again. It's been Kayla's ability to really trust her ears and be comfortable with doing things differently that has propelled her to the artist that she is today. And right now, she's also just released her stunning new EP, Somewhen, which she'll be giving us the inside scoop on inside this episode too. I particularly loved talking with her about the retro future sound worlds inside this new body of work and how it is informed by the Fijian and British cultures that have shaped her growing up. She also shares her experiences as a woman in the industry, how she's releasing work as an independent artist, what it was like to be on a live panel discussion with the legend that is Laurie Anderson herself, and Kayla also gives us the lowdown on how she crafts her beats too. Whew, we've got a lot to cover, so let's meet Kayla. So hello Kayla, welcome to Girls Twiddling Knobs. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. Oh, it's such a pleasure to have you here. I'm so glad that we could get time to record together because I know that you are a busy lady, as all of the ladies who come on this podcast are. So yeah, we're, we're going to talk about so much stuff that I think people are going to find really interesting, things to do with production and your creative process, but also how you're looking at releasing and how that might have changed and then all the wonderful things that you've done so far to date. And of course, your new release, which has just come out in the last couple of weeks weeks, which we will get on to. But first, can you please just introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us how did you start getting into music technology and production? Yeah, sure. So my name is Kayla Painter. I'm an experimental electronic musician, producer and artist. I think I move between those terms depending on what I'm doing. I'm based in Bristol and I kind of came to electronic music as a producer, probably off the back of university. So I grew up as an instrumentalist. So I played saxophone when I was in school and then I went on to play bass guitar, but I was very lucky. I was brought up in a household of musical instruments and stuff. So I think it's always been around me and I I forget that that's not the case for everybody. And I think that probably had such a big impact on you know my future kind of career more than I ever really thought about it, even though I didn't sort of I was never as good as my brother at playing guitar and things like that. Um, he's amazing. Um, but I went to university to study creative sound and music and I took my bass guitar and that was kind of, I thought I was going to learn to play bass better and be in bands and learn more about music and the industry. But actually what happened was in the first term, they, I think they, the tutors got us to bring our instruments in and we played with like we played a song or played a set I can't really remember like a big kind of jam and then everyone sort of told us to put their instruments down and away and then that was the last time we played our instruments for that whole year so they then took us to a skip and said right get in this skip and find stuff that makes sound and it was like what is going on and we took all these bits of rubbish into a workshop and then we had to make instruments and so that was the beginning of the end of my traditional understanding of music and it was the sort of beginning of this whole new world for me the kind of philosophy of sound and thinking about sound as an art form maybe rather than just that there's only one type of music um, out there so it was really there that I think was a pivotal moment for me and it's also like being really embarrassed like being put in a position where I was really embarrassed like outside of the university um, on a patio 
being told to like pick up a chair and make a piece of music with this chair and thinking like this is just horrible and crazy <laughs> but um those moments stay with you and you look back and you think oh, I was really lucky to be put in that position <laughs> yeah I, I can completely understand because I, I went I did my I don't know where you did your undergrad where was it Kayla a uh, Newport it was more of an art school vibe than a university as you can tell it was a bit bonkers <laughs> Yeah, no, that's really interesting because like when I was looking for music degrees, every single one that I came across just I was like, I'm not going to last through this. It's going to bore me to tears or it's going to be far too like industry. Hello, make me famous kind of vibe, which just isn't me. It's, you know, that could be perfect for somebody else, but it's just not me. And um, I ended up going to Dartington College of Arts, which you may be familiar with, but it's similar vibe to that. It's, it's more of a sort of art school vibe, but for contemporary mm. performing arts stuff and loads of moments of being so internally like cringing <laughs> at yes, the weird yes. stuff that you've been asked to do but also like cringing watching other people as well like what are yeah. we doing but it's so important because I think it really helps you to dismantle this really precious sort of um perfect identity as a performer and as a musician and you can you can kind of like fracture that and dismantle that and I think that's very healthy especially from a young age yeah I think that's exactly right isn't it and taking everything apart so you can reassemble your idea of what music is in your own way is such an amazing thing to be able to do you know and it all sounds great but I think you know there were some real challenges over those three years and I was thinking I've wasted my time doing this and what value does this have but you know actually I see it now as like uh, crucial uh, yeah part of my makeup as a musician to have gone through that but then you know kind of going back to your question about how did I get it into production I think one of the modules in university they wanted us to produce something on logic I think it was and I'd never looked at anything like that but I threw myself into it I was quite excited by it because I think the thing for me was like wow I don't need to actually find a drummer and go and record a drummer I can just do it in a computer obviously like at the time the sounds I was using and my awareness of the quality of those sounds wasn't great but it was just it was an excitement there and I think having that excitement to then want to learn more about a DAW was just prevalent for me from that moment and I didn't really do anything with that for a while until I got invited to play a show and I had no set and I was like how am I going to make this work so then I kind of got Ableton I had a cracked version of it that used to crash every time it connected to the internet (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I was like well it was more that you know that I was invited to do something and I was like okay so how am I going to do this and then I was like well I've got one song in Logic so I'll make two more and then I'll see if I can get it into Ableton And, and so that was the beginning of me getting into music tech really it was more of a really happy kind of serendipitous moment of someone inviting me to play somewhere because they supported the university students and me thinking oh how can I do something where I have drums and all this stuff but without without having to try and get into rehearsals and loads of instrumentalists so so that was really the beginning of it and also I'm lucky because I think when I grew up I was exposed to more interesting music like Aphex Twin and all that kind of stuff but I was never really aware of how it was made and I think that being in the back of my mind as well um probably it all just kind of came together and um paved the way for me to to become a producer I suppose Mm, yeah and I think what you said is really important about how when you first started using things like Logic and Ableton, it, you know, maybe didn't sound instantly professional and instantly really high spec. Because I, I want to kind of just put a pin in it for anyone listening who is stopping themselves 
from exploring music technology because they're worried that it's going to sound crap mm. and the, the reality is is for, for most of us it does at the beginning and mm. that's just part of the process and obviously you make very high quality very respected music electronic music and the stuff that you're that you're making now is you know the beat making and all of that that goes into it is unquestionably of high quality but even you when you were beginning Mm -hmm. were having to kind of just you know stumble through and use what you could get your hands on and then keep growing your skills as you went absolutely and I think it's super important to trust your instincts and trust your ears as well. Like at that time, it was sort of pre-YouTube having loads of instructional videos. There probably were some, but it never occurred to me to look. So it was more just like, how does this sound? I don't know. How does this sound? Mm, I think I quite like this. And, you know, if other people didn't get it, it's fine because you, you're you learning and you're growing and you're just sort of figuring it out, as you say. And I think you've got to try and have fun in that space otherwise if you're critical you'll just never make anything you'll never show anyone anything and you won't be able to kind of go down that path yeah definitely did you find when you were first getting into it that you ever did sort of feel scared about sharing things what what was it like going into electronic music as a woman as well a young woman yeah I mean I did feel it's weird when I think back to university and when I showed people that one song I'd made in Logic they were I was in a class full of 32 or 31 men um, with a tutor that was a man and the head of department who was a man and the technician who was a man. There was just no women anywhere. So I was nervous about showing what I was doing because I'd already been a bit shunned for being the only woman and being the only non No, I was one of two non-white people in the course. And it was nerve-wracking. But, you know, what was strange about it is that the tutors didn't really treat me differently because I was a woman. And I appreciate that now. I think at the time I was like, God, this is really hard. And I'm finding it hard because no one wants to work with me. And I'm finding it hard because people don't like my music. (laughs) You know, it was a real struggle. And some of the feedback I got on that track was that it was really... They liked it, they thought it was interesting, but they said it would never really, it was too minimal and my stuff didn't really make sense in terms of like where it would sit in the industry. And I found that kind of interesting because that was that was one tutor who I get on with really well still now, but I've still continued to use my own production style, which is a little bit minimal and is a bit different. And I think about people like Orteca, who I really admire, and I think, you know, if you were told, if you told them that their stuff didn't really fit anywhere, they wouldn't have made this amazing music that is so pioneering and unique in the sort of electronic world so I just think do you know what it doesn't matter if people don't get it and they don't like it and I get bad negative feedback but yeah it was difficult as a woman showing what I was working on and and trying to take that feedback and feeling like this the odds were stacked against me anyway yeah and I think something that I just keep kind of coming back to every time I interview someone for the podcast and think back on my life and also talk to lots of other women who are kind of starting that journey and recording and production and things. It just keeps becoming more and more clear to me that be bold, you know, from as young as possible, be bold and don't worry about offending somebody. If they're, if they've said something sexist or they've patronized you or whatever, tell them, call, call it out, say goodbye to that opportunity. If it's attached to some kind of opportunity and just be bold and, and do as they say in America, do you, you know, but you've you've got to, because actually in the long run and even in the short and medium term, it's just going to take you somewhere that's so much more you. And also it's going to take you there quicker, I believe. Yeah. 
I think so. It's more fulfilling, isn't it? Like if you if you try and deviate from what your true kind of I don't know direction is, I think you're going to make something that's not genuine, and that will come across in some way, and you won't enjoy it as much as well. So you're kind of losing on two levels there. But I think it's easier said than done, isn't it? I think. You know, I can look back and be like, oh, it's great. I just was me and it's worked out. But it it hasn't been, that's a really short version. That's the nice version. <laughs> yeah. But also like you were saying about how people, you know, like that particular lecturer told you, oh, you know, this isn't going to be placed anywhere in the industry. It's too minimal, et cetera. I think people say that kind of stuff a bit more to women. Mm. I think people feel like, I mean, I know that's a situation where you're in, you're doing a course and perhaps that was feedback for something you submitted. And that's one thing. But I think people feel more more kind of entitled to tell women where they place their work or where they think they're going right or wrong. Mm. And I do think it's, I, I look back and I wish I'd been bolder. And I, I was pretty bold, actually. I was pretty kind of, like what you're saying, I was quite clear on, no, I, I'm fine with being a bit different or I'm mm. fine with doing not taking that conventional path. But I, I think it, we just have it thrown at us a lot, I think, as women other people's ideas of mm. whether we're doing something right or wrong. Yeah, of what we should be. But, you know, it's it, it runs deep, doesn't it? Because it's almost like there's this idea of what women are supposed to look like. Totally. And there's this idea of what women are supposed to behave like. And there are this idea of what women, uh, how they should produce music. It's the same thing. It's the same problem. It just runs so deep in society, like in our kind of, in, I think in Western culture anyway, I, you know, it's sort of different, isn't it, around the world? But yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had people come up to me and say, I mean, I actually had someone heckle me on stage and I refused to play afterwards because they came up and jumped on stage and said, like, they were shouting in my ear, like, it's called a snare. It's called a snare, love. You, <gasps> you don't have a snare. Like, what? you didn't get the memo. Oh You're God, not in. What I know, hell? it was really horrible. They were like, you didn't get the memo. You're not in the band, love. Get off the stage. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, where's the promoter? Like, I was playing and it was this really late night event that I've been booked for by the promoters that I knew it was horrendous I just pulled the set I pulled the set and then I packed down and I was like I'm not like I'm not putting up with that like it was horrible I mean I can laugh about it now but it was yeah it was like one of the most single horrible performance experiences I've had yeah um, but yeah like who I don't think a guy would go up to another guy on stage and be mm. like, there's no snare in here. Yeah. It's called a snare. You need a snare. Like, it was disgusting. And, yeah. you know, and since then I've had people jump up on stage and I've had people shouting at me and, and all sorts. But you just, that was the worst one because it felt really like they could hear my music and they didn't like it and they wanted to tell me why it wasn't correct. And I was just, it was so disgusting. But it's so, that that kind of thing is so annoying though, isn't it? Or like, it really, it can really twist you up because... Not only are they saying I don't like it, they're then presuming that you don't know what you're doing. And you're like, no, I do know what I'm doing. I do know what a fucking snare is. I've just chosen to use these sounds. And if you don't like it, that's fine. I find it really hard to find snares that I like. That's the truth of the matter. I don't yeah. really like, I find them really difficult. I like clap sounds more, maybe. Mm. I mean, I, I in sort of the years that have passed since then, I think I've become a bit better at producing the snares. But I tend, tend to just like, I like percussion and I like creating beats but I um do that as I will and I don't feel that there's any particular prescription that means that you you have to have a certain you know what <laughs> it's just crazy no I mean that that's how music moves on as people say oh what if I didn't use a snare yeah you know and then they do something yeah. else and it's new and it's cool exactly. and that's fine exactly and you may not like it but like it doesn't mean they didn't know what they were doing I know exactly yeah it's just bonkers and to, you're, you're right though you know you think about 
that people do that to a woman much more than they would have the guts to do that to a man. And I don't know how much that is to do with, well, I mean, it's just sexism, isn't it, in the industry? But, um, mm. you know, I did get an apology from him at the end after I explained to him why he was totally wrong and ridiculous. He was very apologetic after I refused to play and you know the promoters were very apologetic too but it's just think like you're right what you said earlier you do need to just try and call this stuff out and I'm really glad I did call it out at that time and I hope he remembers I hope he was embarrassed because I shouted at him I fully shouted at him and I was like yeah yeah it's sort of he deserved it you know it's my art and I was doing my job (laughs) that's really good and I think sometimes it's not even like like I I think it's amazing that you did that and I think it takes an awful lot of guts to do that and sometimes it's not even doing something as you know visible as that it's like internally calling it out and saying Mm. that is about that person that is not my shit Mm. Mm. you know and just and just sticking to what is actually you know supportive and right for you Mm, mm. because we can so call this stuff up you know we can so like everything from the feedback from that lecture that you're describing all the way through to the guy that jumps on stage and tells you that Mm. it's all these little you could almost call them micro although the guy on stage isn't really micro but microaggressions or micro little things that chip away and and I think it can really start to it can start to wear you down but it can definitely create a lack of momentum through Mm. trying to not experience that again Mm. if that makes sense and like kind of molding yourself and shaping yourself and trying to make sure that everyone thinks you're nice or Mm -hmm. everyone thinks you know absolutely everything that you're doing and therefore you spent loads of time preparing this thing rather than just composing or do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like totally yeah it's very very important to be aware of how you carry that stuff isn't it those experiences I tend to carry them all like literally on my shoulders and I I you know, my posture, I think about how nervous I look when I see photos of myself. And it's because all these things that I worry about and I'd rather be small and people not to sort of notice me. And I think that's all these years of people sort of being awful. (laughs) Um, Mm. So you have to be really careful about how you take that forward and and how it affects you as a person and and therefore creatively, like you say. And, you know, I think it's really important to try and deal with that stuff and think about, like you're saying, I guess, it's important to think about what is somebody else's stuff as well. I mean, there's always a bit of that in there. Yeah. But it can't you can't take it all on because you'll yeah. just destroy yourself and <laughs> get poorly. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, it's it's really important. I think that probably, you know, 95% of the time it is somebody else's stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's always important to have the self-awareness and reflection to be like, oh, could I have done something better? Or, mm. you know, should I have actually done this thing? But most of the time it is somebody else's stuff and they're just bringing it to you. And we bring our shit to other people too, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but that's really interesting what you say, Kayla, about looking at your posture and feeling that kind of, it's like a stress or a tension or a pressure to keep that, that it's a burden that has been there for a while. And mm. I can relate to that. And I, I think what I was thinking of is that sometimes it's particularly with professional relationships, even professional relationships, like male relationships where I have a really good relationship with them. I will come away from conversations and I will start unpicking everything I've said and I'll start kind of thinking, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I talked about that thing for too long. Oh, I can't believe I got the name wrong of that thing or, you know, and it's from years and years and years of this stuff, I think. Mm. That's how it seems to kind of manifest in me. It's like this mental, really pointless untangling in my head. And I'm 
the, and I'm 36, I had to think that, <laughs> 36. And I've done so many different, like I've been, I've, yeah, like I've been through academia all, all the way up to PhD level, um, released my own music, you know, recorded it in studios, recorded it at home, all the different things like that. I still have to unpick this stuff. Mm. I still have to have a word with myself. Mm. And I still have to say, Isabel, you could spend the next three days worrying about the fact you got that terminology wrong or the fact that you talked a bit too much about this project you're doing and they looked a bit bored. Mm. Or, the, or the fact that you talked about how there's so many women, you know, who are, have experienced sexual you know, assault in the music industry and they looked a bit bored. You could think about all of that stuff for the next three days. Don't fucking think about it. Get on with all the kick-ass stuff you're doing. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I've got better at doing that. And that's how it seems to manifest for me. It's yeah, I can understand that. It's super hard. You feel like you're being scrutinized constantly and I think it's years yeah. of that, isn't it? Yeah. Totally. And I think sort of frustratingly, the more that it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? If somebody says to you, you don't know what you're talking about once, then it's in your head and then you're like, I don't know what I'm talking about. And then when you speak to when you speak to somebody else high profile, that's just in there. And so you make these mistakes because this person said this thing to you once or, or whatever. And it's it's really awful. And I think, yeah, the energy is probably better spent on trying to forget that stuff or become really okay with it because it's yeah really it's really tricky and I, I have those moments all the time as well we shouldn't be scrutinized more because we're women but we definitely are <laughs> yeah totally exactly yeah so that's really interesting to hear about that from you know from your point of view Kayla and that visual idea that you shared with us as well I think and a lot of people can probably relate to that even if they don't like are not physically showing it I think a lot of people listening will relate to that but you've done so many wonderful things across your career you know you've played at the Great Escape mm. um you've also been played on BBC Six Music and mm. you've written for Disney and you've had some wonderful appearances the most recent one being Laurie Anderson and Hannah Peel at Witch Festival curated by the wonderful Bishy who was on the podcast already Hannah was on the podcast already it's all starting to be a bit incestuous and so yeah you've done so many great things so I mean take us from you, we kind of left off with you starting to make electronic music you've gone through your degree um how did you start forging a career and um, what would be some of your highlights, do you think, of your career to date? Yeah, I guess um, as I left uni, I always wanted to to be involved in music, but I had to get a job so that paid. So I got a job. I ended up in Bristol and got a job and sort of looked for gigs, I suppose, and also looked for publishing work. And that was kind of how both the Disney thing came about and also how I got booked for the first ever Simple Things Festival. It's now quite a big festival here in Bristol. But that was cool because John Hopkins played that and Baths and like all these amazing people. And I was like, God, I, I was like essentially sharing a stage with these people um in the sort of first year of doing this but um they were smaller I was smaller it was a different time (laughs) (laughs) so the highlights I guess like I got picked up to play Glastonbury and I played the Glade stage there with my visual show I think amazing yeah I think a big part of it sort of moving forward with it as a career even though it's sort of just a career uh, on top of having a paid job to start with was 
sort of continuing to gig and and meeting people in Bristol. And then, you know, through that, I met this person who does visuals. And, and I, I had visuals already, but I, I was sort of trying to control them myself as well as doing the music. Um, and this guy said to me, oh, look, I'm doing visuals for this person after you. Do you want me to just like trigger them for you or whatever? And I was like, yeah, great. Thank you. Um, and, you know, years later, we're still working together. He's my visual collaborator. Um, oh, wow. And partner in that you know in that sort of creative space and uh yeah it's great I think having that though has been really key to my momentum of success because what I do isn't easily categorized or placed I suppose in a Spotify playlist or whatever but when people see the visual show they're like oh, okay I really like this I'm not sure if they're like I get it but I think they like it and it's memorable and everyone has a camera phone so it's really it's easier to promote because someone standing behind a laptop is harder to get the experience across in a photo isn't it um Oh yeah also my music is just very visual I figure that my music is minimal and the reason for that is because a big part of what is the experience is the visual and yeah. whether that's in my mind or hopefully when I'm working with Jason on stage on a big screen that is a big part of what the story is of the thing I'm presenting so I think I think that was a really big part of how I kind of fell into some really good things which led to more good things and I think highlights I guess there are a lot and I'm really grateful for that I was selected by Giles Peterson to be one of the future bubblers um which was a talent development scheme Mm -hmm. uh through that I've met some amazing people and had some great opportunities like putting out a track on vinyl via Brownswood his label and um yeah just generally playing the festival I played Blue Dot Festival which was was so cool I've always wanted to play there um because it's like a more sciencey festival and I'm trying to think there's a lot of things I don't know I don't know what I would pick I guess the Laurie Anderson talk was a really big part of it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell us about that because obviously, so that was part of which festival which Bishy came mm-hmm. on and told us about and um, so some of the listeners will be familiar with that. Um, but you got to sit down and talk via Zoom with Hannah Peel and Laurie Anderson um, and Bishy was in that conversation too, wasn't she? So um, yeah, what, how was that? Yeah, it was insane. Like, (laughs) it was, I don't know, I was so nervous. But afterwards, I just felt so, like, besotted. Like, I just felt so in love with Laurie afterwards. I mean, I loved her before. (laughs) But um, (laughs) she's just an amazing person. And it doesn't really cut it, does it? It's not really enough to say she's an amazing person. But she's got a very interesting approach. And I think talking to her and hearing her stories and watching her on Zoom tell these stories was a really amazing experience I think there's a Roald Dahl saying which is like if you are happy then the sun will shine out of your face or something like that I feel like she's like that I feel like the sun shines out of her face it's really like she's like this angel (laughs) yeah well she she seemed really animated yeah in the discussion you know like that really struck me she seemed really animated passionate yeah like you say kind of like really still just totally in love with yeah creating and everything to do with that yeah totally she just seems like such a creative soul right and like she just it's very inspirational as a as a creative person to think oh there was so many things to explore and all these the ways that she sort of achieved them you think okay it's similar to what we're talking about like you just don't don't make any excuses don't no apologies you just do you you do you you do what you're good at and explore things and don't worry if they don't feel right or they don't 
become something. But I took a lot from from that. And, and there was this really nice bit at the end where she was talking about how this is a really new time. Uh, this is a new time for women. You know, we're sort of taking, not taking over, but we're starting to be more present in society and also in music. And she was sort of like, this is our time to tell the stories. We're incredible people. And, you know, we should occupy, you know, we should take space up and we should tell our stories. And I, and that I took a lot from that as a woman. I thought, yeah, that's super important. And I hadn't really thought about it like that because she was sort of saying, you know, the age I'm at now and I see younger people coming up and sort of telling their stories. And sometimes I forget to think, oh, well, I'm a woman, so it's different because you don't want to ever be thinking like that. But the way she sort of put it made me think, oh, it's actually, I should wear that with honour rather than, you know, rather than like apologize and try and be hidden (laughs) yeah I totally agree it's something that I tell a lot of my female students is there's so many stories that are particularly relevant to that female experience that haven't been told in music you know other spaces too but in music think of all the songs that could have been written about miscarriage about you know pregnancy but also about lots of other things to do with being a woman you know and and they've just been omitted from particularly popular culture I mean from a especially written by a woman and and that's why it's so important I think because it's not just about like individuals wanting to have a successful music career it's about voices that haven't been heard being able to speak and then touch people who need to hear those stories and and I think I I agree. I think that the more women who have the the skills and the confidence and the networks to do that, definitely, the the more diverse the storytelling is going to be. And that's not just about women, you know, that's about race, that's about disability, et cetera, et cetera. Definitely. I think that's definitely a really good point. And it's, yeah, it's important to think like that. And I think hearing that maybe from someone like Laurie was really nice. And, you know, I mean, she's got loads on YouTube and stuff to watch that is, you know, just so insightful. But... (laughs) Doing it in real time was awesome. And she sort of, yeah, she sort of directly asked me a question at one point and I just felt really like, oh my God, I'm talking to Laurie Anderson. This is insane. (laughs) Even though she probably hates people putting her, I feel like I get the impression she probably doesn't want people to put her, you know, up there. But it's impossible not to. Like she's done. Oh, it's so hard (laughs) not to. I mean, yeah, I said before we were recording to to you, Kayla, that I'm a massive fangirl. I was like, she was, she was definitely one of the first artists I listened to who really started get like making me feel I could do something with experimental electronic music, Mm. you know? Mm. And, um, and I was lucky, you know, like you in my degree, we did look at experimental music and, and I was lucky because I had a female, lecturer who played a bunch of tracks by female artists Mm -hmm. and Laurie Anderson was one of them and so then Mm -hmm. went down the kind of Laurie Anderson rabbit hole and like used to listen to what's it called stories from the nerve bible which is this wonderful album she did which is all her reading out Mm -hmm. like journal entries that she did of her time traveling around the world making art basically and then she wrote all this music to go with it and performed it live and that's the the album and I used to listen to that going off to <laughs> but it was just like this whole you know this whole new world of like the way she uses her voice oh. you know and also her, like you were talking about your visuals and your live performances her mm-hmm. obviously her performance stuff was just so groundbreaking and opened up so many possibilities for combining mm. live performance with electronic music and so yeah like to have Laurie Anderson actually address a question to you <laughs> would be very very bizarre but incredible yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly 
Yeah, yeah, it really was. I cherish that that discussion. It really was a the, like a big moment for me in my life as well as my career. You know, it's like a really big big moment it's very grateful to have it no that's great well thanks for sharing that with us so maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you create how you make music what's the process like for you do you start for example inside a computer inside a door or does it happen on a piano how does that work it really depends song to song or idea to idea how it starts but it could start with something quite um, simple like I'm out and about and I hear a sound that I like and I record it on my phone or, you know, if I've got a field recorder with me, maybe, but mine's broken at the moment, so my phone. Um, and I t- and then I think, okay, I know what I want to do with that. You know, sometimes it's as simple as that and then it goes into a door and I start working with it. You know, and, and that might just be like I've got an idea or it might just be like I like that sound, I'll, let me take it into a door and then see if I have an idea. It's kind of too, there can be like, a, I guess, a few numbers a few ways that can go and you know sometimes building something from one sound can go in such a different direction mm-hmm. to what you're expecting as well which I think I really like to follow that um but you know you can always have a save as it's like oh my first idea with this sound would go this way and then oh but actually I wanted to try and make something that sounded more like trap that I want to go this way or whatever so that's kind of one approach but then sometimes it is just opening a door and playing a synth and just messing around and, and if something happens great yeah but I suppose my approach feels more like 360 like degree like I will you know, it could be that I'm at a friend's house with a, where there's a piano, like you say, and I play something. In fact, I think that is one. Out. One of my songs started like that. Um, I was in a studio, but I was working, I was teaching there, so I wasn't actually there to do music. And there's a quick break and I just started playing the piano and I, I was like, oh, I really like this chord and I, I'm never going to remember it. So I'll record it. So I recorded it on my phone and I just did a little improv and I took it into, took it home and then I put it into Logic and I I really loved it and I, I cut it up as audio and kind of EQ'd it so it didn't sound so bad. I mean, it's still a phone recording next to a, you know, next to a fairly busy corridor with a door open. I just wasn't really thinking about how the quality of recording, because um, I always thought like, oh, I'll go back and record that properly. But I never had a chance and I never managed to find a piano with the same just out of tuneness that that one did. So I had to just use it. Um <laughs> So it's actually my track Canopsia from my 2018 EP. There's this beautiful piano and that's what it is. Oh, great. I'm going to go back and listen out for that now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You'll hear it. You'll hear it. And so what I had to do was to kind of bring up the rest of the song to have piano in it without being able to go back to that piano. I got a friend to play some MIDI and then I mixed them together, but they just to kind of fill the song out because I only had that a couple of samples from that noisy corridor piano or next to the corridor but I wanted piano throughout it and I just couldn't work out how to do it it kind of works and it's a really I think it's a really nice um sort of ambient song but yeah that's how that song started and I just yeah it's so strange how something so lo-fi can end up being something that makes the cut onto your your final project as well yeah no, and, and I think that's about being creative with how you produce. Mm-hmm. And again, comes back to probably your route into music of being told, right, put your instrument away and go, you know, mm. grab something out of a skip yeah. or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that you realise, oh, actually, you 
it's much more about how you use it rather than the raw material. Mm -hmm. Having said that, obviously, depending on what your intention is, like Mm. I would always advocate people get the best recording quality they can Mm. if it's a lead vocal or something like that. But when it comes to crafting the production of a track, I I just think it's much more important to be able to use it intentionally Mm. and rather than just do everything perfectly. Yeah. Because the best music is the stuff that has those eccentricities yeah, and those quirks totally it's sort of more raw isn't it and it feels more real and genuine sometimes I know yeah. what you're saying as well though I think I think it's like personal preference plus like trying to never put blocks in your way I suppose so like I'm always I feel like I'm quite a strong advocate of saying like if you don't have equipment because you can't afford it, don't let that stop you from doing stuff. Like that yes. really does my head in. And when people say to me like, oh, that's not really a proper studio though, is it? Because you don't have this and that and the other. And I'm like, oh, do you know what? Yes, it is. Like it just is. Yeah. I still release music, don't I? So. I love that you said that, Kayla, because I think, again, that's another thing that really stops a lot of women. They're like, well, I can't be a producer. I can't even like like dabble with it for my own stuff because I don't have all the mm. kit or I don't have this studio room uh, mm. and I've just got like a corner of the dining room where I've got a little desk or something. Mm. That's fine. Mm. <laughs> that is fine. They're the way that people sort of fail to mention, and it's often gatekeeper type people or people that are whatever, but uh, is that they, is that technology has come a long way as yeah. well. So maybe, maybe 10 years ago, having a laptop in a room with your phone microphone probably might not have been that great still I wouldn't like it to get in the way of anything but you forget now like just how powerful laptops are and how the quality of even internal microphones on phones are so much better now than they were and I'm not saying like but I think it's important like you say it's important to raise it because I think often it might not be that you can't even afford to buy a mic. It might be that you don't know you want to do that yet. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to spend £400 on a field recorder. That's fine. I think just wait or borrow it from someone. You don't have to own everything as well. You know, like that's another thing I just think, you know, think, oh, it's really, I'm looking at the spec of all this and I don't know if I need it. And I don't know if it's worth my whole paycheck, you know, the whole bit of my paycheck that I get this month or whatever and I just think no make do with what you can and then yeah the equipment and stuff can come and you can you'll get hopefully get chances to do stuff high quality and I think that's also great you know but um like you say yeah. it's just don't I don't like the idea of it stopping anybody no no and I think you know you can have access to the most expensive equipment ever and you still won't be able to get a sound again that you've recorded on your phone like you described yeah there will yeah. you know, like I had that with um, my last album Chalk Flint there's a track called Flinch, Flint Shingle and the lead vocal and the guitar are recorded on my zoom because I was just demoing up the song and we just couldn't I re-recorded the vocals re-recorded the guitar in the studio and I was like it just doesn't I mean that's just voice and guitar like that as in that that one it's got lots of other stuff going on in it including field recordings but I I just couldn't get it to sound, have the same feeling in it. There's like an emotion because a lot of the time there's an emotion in these things. Like what you're talking about with the piano, 
there's probably a sense of almost like distance and nostalgia and a kind of separation almost because it sounds like it's been recorded lo-fi and there's people outside or you know and I haven't like I need to go back and properly tune in to listen to this but you know what I mean like this is why I love using field recordings as well because there's an emotional component that you won't get necessarily from doing it perfectly with um you know studio conditions and and it's creative for that reason yeah absolutely and I think yes it can be great to capture really high quality recordings but also what we're talking about here is I think is a little bit like saying you know if you take all the atmosphere out of something it becomes clinical and it depends what you're making if you are making sort of like I don't know really minimal techno or something maybe you want that vibe and you want it to be quite clinical and that's cool um but also if you are like me or maybe kind of like what you're alluding to I think is you want that sense of time and atmosphere and space in the track and that might not be achieved by reverb you might actually want to achieve that with a field recording of some time passing people outside but walking by it's just a really lovely way of bringing another dimension into a listening experience and I think yeah, I think that's what field recording is awesome for. So, yeah, I totally agree. Cool. Well, well, thank you for talking us through a little bit of your creative process. Maybe you could tell us a bit about the EP that you've released just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so the EP is called Someone, which is a word that is used quite a lot in my family. And I, I noticed it. I noticed it as a word that wasn't used elsewhere when I went to uni, actually, because people were like, what are you on about someone? And this is in Wales as well, where they say stuff like now in a minute. And you think, I think that's great, actually. I think it's brilliant because I get I get it. It's, but um, but someone is something that is used in my family to sort of describe a time in the future. And it sounds like really obvious once you say it, but I had so many people be like, what are you talking about? What, what does that mean? And it's like, oh, it's just what we say. It just means you know, some time, essentially. Someone, the EP, is about this kind of lost future. It's kind of like a lot of my stuff, um, especially the visuals, the the way that the visuals and the music sit together is kind of like vibrant uh, retro future thing going on. So it's, I guess, like the most well-known reference point that people will kind of get is like Blade Runner or something. So you're kind of thinking about an 80s nostalgic vibe uh but then actually what I'm making and thinking about is this sort of projected future this like potential other timeline that's happening either right now which is totally different or it's like 50 years in the future or it's 100 years or then then I sort of go down this weird wormhole where I'm like but time isn't is a construct and like you know and actually maybe you know the way that I don't really know much about astrophysics but like I start to think like but you know, time isn't linear. So actually, it could be happening right now, but it could look well future. So, <laughs> so this is the, the the story behind the EP, I guess, and the title. And um, there's is a lot of like really sort of drenched like synths, and the the artwork and the visuals are very neon. But it also kind of celebrates the two cultures that I think I come from, or I come from. So the kind of the Fijian side and the British side. And you know, I grew up in in Southampton, but my mum. Um, from Fiji so and her parents and so on and so I had this like culture clash of these two very different family ideals I suppose my mum became more British in the way that she brought us up but then it was always 
something I noticed through that side of the family anyway and all my cousins and everything and so I guess it sort of celebrates that as well it's kind of an exploration um into that and sort of telling this story of this alternate future I really I just always love hearing people talk about it when they have a concept like that behind the work they're doing you know um I think it's my favorite part of music I just I don't know it's just something I, I really enjoyed hearing you talk about that and I and um yeah I think it really helped like for me it really helps me with making work that I have that in my head because I then kind of I'm like leaning towards textures but also when I come across things without meaning to it can help kind of then inform that world that's forming too yes exactly it definitely informs decisions doesn't it like you say textures or it's great because it's like you live this whole other world in your head where you're like oh would that fit in this world in this story or not no or yes or it's brilliant isn't it yeah yeah it is and it's and it's stuff that like people may not see immediately like some like some of that I can totally see immediately Mm -hmm. because at the time we're recording this you've released Unseen and Unknown Mm -hmm. and I can hear what you're talking about and I can also see in the artwork Mm -hmm. these amazing kind of like palm leaves Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. these neon lights and this Mm -hmm. almost like misty sea kind of thing with a dark background which really fits what you're talking about. But it's really, I wouldn't have necessarily known about the time aspect and, you know, your kind of fascination with this idea of how time works and how it's not linear and how it's kind of almost like these, well, it's almost like these kind of overlapping waves or like, you know, like, is it now or has now happened before or, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, yeah. And obviously I wouldn't have known what the title of the EP meant either. So it's really, it's just really interesting. And I I personally think that when you can kind of tell that somebody is locked into this, this way of thinking about it, because their work stands up like that, I think Mm. that it really strengthens someone's production in particular, Mm. if they, Mm. if they're able to think in that way. Um, Whereas I think sometimes if it if it is lacking that depth, if it's lacking that world, it mm. it can lots of things can start to kind of not work for me anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that makes sense, doesn't it? Because I think, like you say, you put all this this depth and complexity into something, and I suppose I never really think that people are going to get all of that from it. But you hope that people will get different parts from it, and like you say. I think maybe a big bit of it is that they get a sense that there is more to it than just this song that they hear on the radio, maybe, or something. They get, they go, oh, wow, I want to go into this world. Or they watch a video and they're like, oh, cool. And like, I think for the artists that that I really like, I think you get a, scent, a glimpse into that world. And that's why you, you know, that's what hooks you in, isn't it? Um, you get a sense that there's just more to it. I think so. And I, and I think it makes you dive a little deeper, like, if you've got a concept or like a whole world of a concept, you're like, well, how can I replicate that in just one drum sound? Or how can I replicate that idea in, you know, how this melody, how these melody lines interlock? Or how can I replicate that idea in my use of reverb? You know, like it all starts to become 
present. And even if other people aren't going to immediately listen, be like, oh yeah, Kayla Payton's written this track about time. And but you, but you'll listen. You'd be like, oh cool. The second time she did that, this happened, or this sounds really interesting because it's really dense and it's with this other thing, and that feels really dystopian. Or you know, I just think it. I, I think it actually helps you write easier if you if you have built that world a little bit already. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Because it's like, yeah, because you're telling a story, aren't you? And it's like, it just gives you the foundations to kind of then go into that and make more stories in terms of songs or visuals or videos or whatever. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's the way I use my imagination and my creativity. that It gives me a really rich experience creating it and then getting to perform it as well. It's just, you know, and it even goes down to like, what should I wear on stage? Well, I'll wear this weird iridescent sci-fi dress because I would in this weird time or whatever. (laughs) But that's great though, isn't it? Because it's also like, it kind of gives you permission to try on different identities, doesn't it then too? Because maybe you wouldn't pick up that dress Mm. if you were trying to be you, Mm. Mm. you know, just Mm. you. Mm. Kayla, who wakes up on a Sunday and makes coffee and Mm -hmm. answers her emails, you know, like... (laughs) I never been on you... Sundays, but, no, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, no, f- no, you're that's... right. Though, yeah, <laughs> neither do I. I promise. <laughs> no, no, I'm um, just playing. Yeah, good point. But you know, yeah, no, no. But you, you get to kind of try on a different, a different Kayla. Yeah, and and I think for all of us, again, it's like you, you're kind of deconstructing a rigid idea of your artistic identity mm. and with each project hopefully you kind of find new 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 costumes or new sort of guises yeah exactly and it may be of no surprise to to you or anybody listening but Bowie is one of my biggest you know idols so it's like mm. it's what he did uh, it's yeah. what lots of artists do um but I am so up for that because it's a really amazing process it's yeah like reinventing yourself but it's also just like reinventing a facet of your personality in a sort of external way and then going yeah that's that project and then later in time it's a different uh permutation of that or something other part of your mind it's um yeah it's great yeah I think it's what I really enjoy one of the things I really enjoy about being an artist I guess yeah Wonderful. Well, like I said before, the link to the to Somewhen is in the show notes. So people can go and listen to that. And um, one thing I did want to ask about is, you know, how you release the process of you putting out your music. Has it changed over the years? Are you approaching it differently these days to how you did before? Hmm. Yeah, I suppose it has changed over the years because I think at some point, or at some points in my career, I've sort of been focused on trying to get on a label or thinking that that was the validation that I required to continue doing this. And I suppose I don't really think that anymore. I've I've released this, so this EP somewhere, and then Cannibals at Sea before that, and Origa before that. And then there's been singles in between and double A sides and things like that. And I, I guess like I initially thought, you know, write an album and try and release it and stuff. But I was often told by a lot of people like not to write an album because they say that what I do, there is no market for albums, which I thought was really weird. And it's often like, it was always men actually that told me to not write an album. But I look at other electronic artists and see them write albums and think, well, I think the way that people 
perceive or look at albums is that it's your the bit where you're about to tip into being famous and actually I think that's something that is that's a narrative that's gone and actually if you've got a body of work that's an album then you've got body of work that's an album if you want to release it like that great like I, I know what the, I know that's sort of the hesitation can be like if you put all this work into it and then it's not received very well then it's a real shame of course yeah. but I also just think that if it feels right to write an album then you should and I definitely want to follow my own advice there because you know I wanted to release this EP but I still haven't released an album and it's still my dream to do so so I I I don't see that being that far away now just out of interest Kayla why did you decide not to release an album this time round why did you settle on an EP um because the story was like told it was these tracks told Mm. the story and it felt right and the industry was like having a real crisis because of coronavirus um when I was writing this and when I was Mm. and I was like well things are so unexpected at the moment we don't know what's going on and we don't know when life's coming back and we don't know any of this stuff and this music kind of and this story just kind of came and I didn't it just didn't really feel like it was something to sit on for longer and make a bigger project I suppose but then there, there's also that side of it where it's like mm-hmm. you almost don't want to procrastinate yeah. too much. And actually thinking like, oh, an album is such a big deal could mean that you end up never writing one because it's like, you know, like persevering through those last, I don't know, three or four additional tracks is probably quite hard work. But yeah, so, but, you know, I enjoy releasing singles and EPs. I, I really do. I like I like to stay present. I'd rather stay present and give my fans something to listen to than to go off radar for two, like, uh, 18 months. So I think the way that things had happened with how I'd written and then coronavirus and all the rest of it, I was like, well, let's get these singles out there. I'm not going to hold on to them. I think they're great and they work in this moment. And so, yeah, I released two AA sides and then um, did this project with... Um, with a Chinese record label where I released a piece of music uh, through them as well at the end of last year. And then, and at that time I was kind of like, right, this, this EP is gonna, it's gonna come out next year. And and so here we are, I suppose. Yeah. I, I personally, like, I think it's quite healthy to kind of also dismantle just the, the rules about an album is your major body of work. And you can't do an album until this, or you should do an album because of this. You're not a proper artist until you've done mm. an album. Like all this stuff, it it really doesn't matter. You know, mm. these formats came out because there were certain lengths on mm. a vinyl, and then you know, except like CDs were then in, and now it, mm. it's all digital, really, apart from you know merch that fans buy. But in, in terms of how people actually experience your music these days. Mm. It's. I think like it's. It's really appealing to me to do an EP. I've released four albums. I'm really quite up for doing an EP, because it feels like a really nice length of time to tell a story, and it also feels like a really nice way to experiment with something. And then you know, if it's a new direction for you or something musically, and then you can take it further if you want. Like, I. I think it's really important to go with what feels right for you, and and for for some people that will be. It's, for some people, it would be like a 20-track album. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. You know, fine. Yeah. But, yeah, so it's interesting, like, and it, it makes lots of practical sense from what you're saying, you know, obviously with what's happened over the last few years and uh, or last few months. And um, for you to have such a strong kind of live performance that with visuals and everything, obviously I can understand why if you did make an album, you'd want to be able to go and 
like tour it and show people the visual side yeah. too so absolutely yeah and I think like you say the way that people consume media is different now and it does sound bonkers also when you say it like these things are based on the length of what you know vinyl could be and you think that's really weird isn't it the industry have just kind of grabbed onto that and made that some kind of rule and actually like you say digital media means that that is not the case anymore so actually it's just like this weird media uh weird sort of industry construct that we don't have to adhere to and it's really refreshing when people don't I think as well and they do what's right for them so yeah I think so like when I was looking at your Spotify profile looking at your discography and it's all singles and EPs and I was like actually that's that's great like Mm. you have been able to keep releasing stuff like you say you're not kind of hidden away for two years Mm. but also you've been able to kind of evolve and Mm. see that evolve in a less intense way as if you like every time it was an album and you're Mm. you know and you've got like 14 tracks that yeah have taken Mm. you double the time or triple the time to put together so totally and I you know I I really have so much respect for people that can write albums but also like when do they find the time to do it because I I have got three jobs and like um, it's um sometimes a track can take me six months you know Mm. like sometimes it takes me a weekend to write a track I've I've written a track in a weekend I've released and I've also written a track that takes six Mm. months so but I don't know how people it's a big labor intensive thing I suppose so yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think also at the same time, like once you've written an EP, it's it's not that much more to right. to write an album, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. and especially if you've got a theme and a world that you're working with. Mm. It's just looking well, what I do is, you know, you'll kind of look at if I've got four five or six tracks and you're like, Well, what haven't I done yet? Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't done mm-hmm. something that's like super minimalist, or I haven't mm-hmm. done something that's like me being a total bitch, or okay. I haven't done something where do you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> but still keeping it in that world, you know, yeah. like keeping it with those themes. Yeah, yeah, and really, once you've done five or six tracks, it's not it's not that much more work in a funny way. Mm. But I get what you're saying, and I, and I do totally feel like now more than ever we have the freedom. And it's about being bold again and saying, well, actually, mm-hmm. shit has changed. And I'm going to think about how people are going to experience my music rather than how the industry is going to experience my music. If mm-hmm. that, Because it's different things, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And also, yeah, and you've got to remain like the centre of that, haven't you? Because mm-hmm. the minute you're doing something because of the industry, you kind of lost the fun of it and you've lost the sanity because the industry changes really overnight. Have. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, you really have. And and it's something that I've fallen into before. And I'm sure a lot of mm. people, you know, it's it's really hard not to. And I think mm. as soon as you experience any little whiff of success, because for most artists they've had months and years of like banging your head on a brick wall, it's mm. not going anywhere, sick of playing shit gigs, you know, mm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And then you start getting some traction in some way. And then you start becoming hyper aware of oh, oh, well, I guess I have to do everything properly now. And I guess mm. I have to do everything, you know, exactly how a professional musician would mm. if they ha- were signed to a label or if they were, you know. Mm. And I think then, like you say, it can really rip away the the creativity and the and just the kind of uh, honesty or authenticity in it as well, I think. Yeah, yeah, 
which I think is kind of when you take it all away, it's all you've got. So you've got to hold on to that, really, I, I think. And it's something I struggle with, too. Mm. Don't get me wrong. You know, trying to exist on social media without falling into those traps is impossible. You have to, you know. But, yeah, yeah you just could remind yourself that that isn't a real thing. And actually, the music is the real thing. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what what is your... What's your setup in terms of behind the scenes? Are you releasing this through the label? Are you working with a manager? Are you working with press, PR, that kind of stuff? How are you going about this release? So this one is a self-release. Let me think who's on the team. The team is me and (laughs) I'm working with a couple of people on the press side because I was very fortunate to get a grant for this EP from Help Musicians. So there's a little bit of budget there and big up help musicians because they're amazing um so a little bit budget there to pay for pr because it's expensive and it doesn't always yield the financial return that you put into it in fact i don't know does it ever maybe i don't know um (laughs) um so there's those there's those people that are amazing that i work with who i'm working with on this and no manager and i'm trying to think who else i work with obviously there's like I work with lots of freelancers to get stuff done. So I was, you know, I'll work with a photographer, or I'll work with my visual guy, or I'll work with, I'll just outsource the stuff where I don't have the time to learn the skill. Um, but, and also it's great to support other creatives. Um, but, you know, it's, it's also tricky, isn't it? Cause you've got a project manager and I think actually project managing something and trying to, if someone's not getting what your idea is, then it's quite hard to get the results that you want. And it's not really a, a comment on their talent it's more like there's just something there that's not clicking and so that can be quite challenging I think at times I think it's it's coming out on CD and tape because obviously the lead time for vinyl is about a year at the moment um with everything that's going on um CD tape and digital and the CD and tape are kind of limited mm-hmm. so and I sort of felt like it was worth putting stuff out physically because there is that obviously real callback to physical media for some people. And I think a lot of my fans really like that. So I sort of did that as responsibly as possible in terms of environmental impact as well. So I was like working with this really nice um, uh, duplication production service um, based in England who, who helped me with that. And is that something they specialize then in, in kind of environmentally friendly music merch? There, they, theirs isn't, but there are some like that. But they mm. definitely helped me in terms of like I was like, you know, what's the minimum impact on this, and how can I make this more eco? And so, you know, that kind of thing, they were really useful. They were really good at um, mm. helping me with. And so, yeah, I was sort of releasing it and selling that via Bandcamp, and then obviously I work with oh, that's the other person I work with a distributor, a digital distributor, who obviously get all my music onto things like Spotify and Deezer and. I, I, Apple Music, sorry. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like a small team on this one. I've worked, I have worked with managers and I have worked with labels in the past, but I suppose I've found that the more people you have involved, the harder it can be to move things forward sometimes. And it's not because they don't want to, but it's just like you're involving another whole other brain and a whole other person. And they, as much as they might take on your vision, sometimes your vision is still massively compromised and as much as I am happy to compromise if I can feel like there's a good reason for it I don't feel like with this EP there was a good reason to try and I guess 
compromise on that vision especially because I had the funding and that meant that there's a certain timeline that's tied to and I wanted to use the funding and be really grateful for that and I didn't want to like actually if I was to find someone else that would release it I'd feel that that wasn't really totally honest to then use help musicians money like you can't really do that I don't think so so there's all these different reasons that it sort of ended up this way but I also don't feel like sad at all that it's not on a label or anything I think you know that time will come maybe and if it doesn't that's also okay because I essentially just want to make sure I get my music to my fans and that's that's what I'm doing you know rather than waiting and and uh, not putting stuff out and waiting for the right time because I I don't believe there is ever really the right time so yeah mm, yeah I I think it's very um helpful to hear people like yourself Kayla taking talking about that there can be so many different iterations of what that team is and that team could be you and some freelancers mm. you know it does not have to be like a manager a record label mm. uh you know etc cetera, etc cetera. um it could also just be you but I mean I would always advocate mm. to people like don't do that too long because you will get absolutely exhausted mm. if you yeah and like getting funding like you have so that you can work with people and um mm-hmm. and that's really important but yeah it's interesting what you say about that whole kind of vision thing and if you have more brains in the mix it can actually slow things down Mm. and it's hard it's tricky isn't it getting that balance because also like you say project managing something's really tricky especially also if you're Mm. then if you then have to then do creative stuff too and and even Mm. I know we're not quite in that stage yet but if you have to also be performing live and like getting up on stage and giving so much to that performance and to the audience but then also like micromanaging all the aspects of releasing the music and it's it's quite a lot it's like juggling a lot and balancing a lot of spinning plates so it's yeah I I think it sounds like the way you're going though is very organic and you're kind of just thinking right what does this release require and what do I require in this release and that could adapt and that's that's you know the best way to be I guess yeah I think so I mean you know I I don't ever want to sort of say like I would never work with a label or I would never work with a manager or whatever again I just think that your situation changes doesn't it and I think at this time this is the right the right thing for me and who knows what will be right next year but I think I think I try to at the moment take the focus away from getting that external validation from a big team because whilst that could be really nice at some point it's so not the point of it and it's so far removed from what I want to achieve which is getting my music out there it'd be great to it'd be great if new people could hear it of course and I think that's the main thing I'd I'd ever want from a label is that it it's more about reaching new people rather than me not doing the work I'm quite happy to put the work in um but I think yeah your situation changes and I think it's fine to sort of just be okay with doing it as a small team or doing it solo um it is tiring for sure like it's a lot of work and I, mm. I'm sure most people who release their music will will just agree like it is a lot of work um but then I think the payoff is massive when you get someone that really gets it or whatever you know yeah and and also you know the payoff can be literally so much more massive because you own all the rights mm. you haven't mm. licensed it out to anyone even mm. you know like that's very powerful and you just never know what's going to happen with your music you Mm. can never really predict that so there's that aspect too which 
Yeah, yeah, which is a very compelling yeah. reason for not necessarily just running towards a label. For sure. And I think I think one of the things that's really important for people, or maybe I think for me, is to really question why you would want to work with a label. Because as long as you're clear about what that is, then you can maybe find the right label. Because some labels will give you certain types of deals. And actually, if what you want is what I'm talking about, and actually all they're willing to do is, I say all they're willing to do, but all they're willing to do is put in £5,000 or £10,000 and do a vinyl thing but they're not going to do anything to actually engage their fans then it's not worth it like you always end up paying for that in some way you know for like literally um or I guess you know you could put a release out that that kind of doesn't really get seen and that would be a shame so I think it's like figuring out what it is you want from any of these team members before you decide to work with them the same with a manager as well can be really really great and it can work really well for people but it's like figuring out what it is that you you want from that relationship before you enter into it or you know doing a trial or whatever and checking that they also what they want from you is this you know it's the same with a label what do they want from you are you able to deliver that comfortably and I think just knowing that is really important um and if you come back at the end of that and think um that doesn't match up then then do it do it your your own way I think do it yourself Mm. yeah absolutely yeah oh well that's been so so interesting and useful Kayla and um just to finish up I'd love you to give us your three tips for starting to get um programming drum beats yeah sure okay so my I guess my top three tips uh for programming drums would be first of all to um listen to drums that you want to emulate yourself so i think it's quite hard to start with a blank project and create drums out of nowhere and have them sounding good so i would literally just open a browser go on youtube type in caribou or fortet for me whatever (laughs) it is for you listen and think and write down like i've got post-it notes that say this just write down the quality of the types of sounds of the drums it's fine just be like descriptive and you know however it is makes sense to you so it's like okay a really tight sounding hi-hat on the offbeat or whatever it is just note down the things that you like then go back to your project and then try that that would be like my first tip just to kind of listen and get a list of those things and then my my second tip would be to then how you kind of work with that so if you've got a sound that you want to sound more more like uh fortet have a think about could I achieve that with EQ? Could I achieve that with reverb? And just play around with it. And, you know, you'd be surprised, even if you're trying to emulate something and you're playing around with an EQ, you might get something totally different. But that is that is most of how my drums come out the way they are. Like, it's like, I say to people, oh, yeah, this was based on a fortet thing that I really liked. And they're like, what? I can't hear any of that. I was like, well, I don't care. But it got me here. So um, it got yeah. me to this song, this beat. So that's cool. So I think... I think that'll be my second thing is to really just get right into those plugins and mess around with. It doesn't matter what you, in a way, it doesn't matter what what you start with. Just mess around with it um, as much as as you you can be bothered to, and as much as you're having fun with it. And then I guess my third thing would be to just loop a little bit of a project. I'm thinking timeline because I'm in in Logic, but you can do it in Ableton obviously as well. Just loop a couple of bars and take one element so say you've got a kick on every beat or whatever um just take one element like the hi-hat and just move it around move it off the beat move it off the grid totally and I would like 
I would just like move a few of them and keep a few of them locked in and just see what ideas that gives you because that's how most, again, most of my drum ideas come from just messing around with those tiny minute changes in a way that you think that wouldn't, that doesn't look right, doesn't sound right. But I would do that. And if you're not getting anywhere, add another channel and just put another sound in. Just have three or four sounds going and just fiddle around with them for ages. Keep one thing solid, could even just be the metronome, and then see how they play off each other and, and off the beat, um, off the metronome or whatever you've got um, underneath. So that would be my my three kind of top tips for drum programming. Oh, I love those, Kayla. I think they're great. And um, yeah, just like in a way so simple, but also, yeah, like not not the usual tips that people give you <laughs> like they're really <laughs> oh, they're really good no they're really good because they're about you finding your own sound mm. you know it's not like do this do that do this do that and then you've made a drum beat yeah, it's no. you actually finding um yeah like listening to other people's work but thinking what do I like about this like what do yeah. I like about this what am I hearing and how can I describe this in my words mm-hmm. great like you'll learn so much more just from doing that and yeah. then you know like so much more than watching a youtube tutorial and just being yeah. like okay do this do this do this um even that first tip is really golden and um and all of them will just yeah i think get you making much more original music so mm. thank you for them they're really good oh you're welcome just out of interest kayla just um thinking about how you write your own beats what do you use kind of tech wise yeah sure so obviously like sound wise I'll either get um like I said field recording bits and bobs for my phone or a recorder or um sometimes you know downloaded sample packs I have this folder on my desktop called drums which is about six gig and it's um somebody (laughs) gave it to me I I I forget where I got it from really but it's it's done the rounds and all the people I went to uni with and it's just got these amazing (laughs) drum sounds in it but, you know, it's that thing where there are hundreds and you spend ages scrolling. And actually, wow. I've just got a few that are highlighted green. And I'm just like, I just go back to them every time. Wow. Um, so then I take them into Logic. I don't, sometimes I use like a sampler type thing. But often, I'm one of those people, I'm afraid to say, I just put them on the time, um, on a channel. And I just move stuff around. I say, I spend really? ages moving around my new sounds. And I cut out. Wow. So I like, might record like, I don't know the sound of I don't know just like some sandpaper or something and then I will yeah take that into logic and I will cut it and I'll cut it again and I will pitch it and I'll put them on different channels so they have different pitches of slightly slightly different textures of this uh, sandpaper so you will like physically just duplicate them yeah move them around yeah Yeah. okay and for anyone yeah (laughs) no well no not necessarily you know because what you're doing then is you're really getting in a digital sense really getting your hands on every sound mm. at least you're getting your cursor on every sound yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know um whereas obviously if you're using a sampler you're then playing it through a controller and mm. you know it's a different process um but yeah I wouldn't have known that you know I, I just yeah. I just thought you would be you know sticking it through an Ableton push or something like that no. and <laughs> tapping away I, I don't do anything <laughs> when I'm sort of explaining those tips as well I think mm. and you said oh you know, it's not just, you know, you do this, then you make a beat. I don't think I do anything in the way you're supposed to, but I think yeah. that's why why I make the stuff I make. I don't really care in a way that it's not 
I think the only thing about that is, is it bad for your CPU? Like, that's the only thing I'm yes. like, I don't know if that's okay or not. But, um, yeah. And you do run into problems if you accidentally highlight everything and then you move something a tiny yeah. bit. You're like, oh, no, I've moved everything. And that now it all just sounds the same. And I wanted it to be different. But um, no, I'd like to get right in there. It's the way I am the most happy when I'm writing is if I'm right zoomed in to those tiny, minute sounds and I'm moving them around and I'm doing different things to each of them. That's just my favorite place, like in terms of uh, composition. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that... um it's something that I really enjoy about editing sound mm-hmm. is that it is, it's very visual or it's like there's almost a tactility, mm. but through your mouse, yeah, 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 which I know sounds a bit ridiculous, but, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same in that I, I love zooming in mm. and, you know, just like shaping the fades mm. or just mm. all that kind of minute, really detailed stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really love that because it's so visual and it's so, there's a kind of tactility and a shape mm-hmm. around the sound then. Whereas if you're doing it through like a MIDI controller, which obviously they have their place yeah, and yeah. I use them sometimes, but it is more, yeah, it's more like playing an instrument. Um, but then on the screen, you're like looping that mm-hmm. and it's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not the same as when you're really getting in there and crafting every no. individual little nook and cranny. Totally. Totally. And I think, you know, that mostly applies to me with beats, but the other stuff maybe is more the other way where I like, I'll play something in on synth and then, you know, yeah. sometimes I'll take it out and I'll process it in a different program, like pull stretch or something. But um, yeah it's really that for the beats for me because I just love it it's like you say it's a real detailed thing it's like detailed sound architecture just like getting in there and it's a really nice process isn't it it is it's almost no I'm gonna say this because I've been watching a show but it's almost a bit like Lego Mm. (laughs) because I've been watching Lego Masters so much recently it was just such a good show and I love Lego but yeah it's like it is an architecture it's a kind of building especially with beat making you know Mm -hmm. it's things that are repeating in patterns and they all have to kind of balance each other and support each other but also have their own individual um role as well so yeah yeah totally totally and I think yeah it's a really big part of what I enjoy about it and I think um I suppose for people that I suppose it's just nice isn't it to think that there are no rules like just make up do it your own way I guess isn't it and like you could do what I do or you could do the extreme other end and either is fine but yeah yeah that's my experience of it anyway (laughs) yeah great well thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's been really really wonderful I've really enjoyed it and um we've covered so much but it's all been really insightful so thank you Kayla no thank you for having me it's been amazing having a chat to you and I'm yeah really glad to be on the podcast so thank you well what an absolute treat it was to hear Kayla's process of making beats I was so surprised that she doesn't use a MIDI controller and instead individually lays down each sound as audio inside her door. It just goes to show not taking the conventional route can really pay off when it comes to having your own distinct sound. A key theme across Kayla's career is how true she's been to her own tastes and to crafting her own sound, regardless of whether other people thought it would fit into the industry or if it was something everyone else was doing. I thought her awareness of how she was physically holding herself in photos and how that might reflect the weight of all the microaggressions she's experienced as a woman in the industry was particularly insightful too. But like Kayla says, despite this, it's important we keep connected to the creativity and authenticity that's vital to making music. 
even if that's not always easy. And speaking of making music, Kayla's wonderful new EP, Some When, is out now and available to stream and download. And she also has merch that you can get your hands on too. Find out more at the link in the show notes. And I also urge you to check out Kayla's fab new video for Beginnings from the Sea, one of the tracks of the new EP. It's so dreamy and perfectly fits with the ambiguous atmospheres of the track itself. You'll also find the link to that in the show notes too. Now in next week's episode, we're going to be looking at a tricky subject, how to make a musical change of direction. It's a common problem. Maybe you've been making a particular type of music for a while, and maybe you've even begun to get some success within a certain genre. But there may come a time when it just doesn't feel like you anymore. It's time for a new sound, but how to make that leap. How do we transition out of a certain musical space and into a new one? And how do we even know what sound we're going for in the first place? Oh, it's enough to make a girl whip out the faceplant emoji, but fear not, I won't leave you hanging, sister. We'll be getting clear on successfully making that crucial musical change of direction in next week's episode. But till then, take care, and I'll catch you here soon. Girls Twiddling Knobs is hosted and produced by me, Isabel Anderson, with production support from Francesca O'Connor and is a female DIY musician production. So, how do you like that episode, dear listener? If you loved it, and you know someone else who would love it too, be a good friend and share it with them. Go on, spread the girls' twiddling knobs love.